You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey, gals, welcome to The Devoted Podcast. Hey, we're going to do just kind of a fun Q&A on parenting that you guys sent in some questions, and Debbie's sitting here with me, and so we're going to kind of go through some questions. There she is. We're going to go through some questions that you guys sent in. There's one of these in particular that I'm just telling you is probably an entire episode at some point, but we'll get to that in a second. So, Debbie, thank you for doing this with me again. Thank you for inviting me. It's always so fun. I love it. Okay. So, gals, thanks for sending in these questions because you guys had some good questions, and we probably won't be able to unpack all of these fully, but hopefully we'll be able to get you started and then maybe even point you to some resources too as we have them with Athey. So, one question, how to cope with the fear of your children not loving the Lord in adulthood? Ooh, that's a good one. Well, interesting, but... This morning, actually, I just had a little quiet time with the Lord, and one of the verses that I came across was, God has not given us a spirit of fear, Mm -hmm. but of love, power, and of a sound mind. And one of the ways that Jesus said that we can love the Lord is with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. Mm -hmm. So I think the first thing that we really need to do is recognize that fear is really Satan's replication of what we should be experiencing, the polar opposite, which is joy. Because yeah. what does the Bible say? The joy of the Lord is our strength. And what really what we're looking for when we're thinking those kinds of things, we're really needing strength. Mm-hmm. So the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so I think breaking it down to try to make sure that we capitalize on the fact that we do have this within us. We have this hope within us, this hope that never fades, and that's the hope of Christ within us. And the enemy every single day is trying to shellack us with anything to tear us down. And one of those tactics is to make us be crippled by fear. So it just happens that the weak spot in this conversation today, our weak spot is that love we have for our kids. Mm -hmm. So we don't know what tomorrow is going to hold or the next five years or 10 years. So I think what we should do rather than be fearful of them not walking with the Lord I think we should actually look and anticipate of what God does say about us and for us, how He is for us, how He is for our kids. So I was just looking up in Zephaniah, which I just, this is one of my favorite scriptures when I'm really needing just that encouragement, you know, from the Lord. Zephaniah 317, the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. I think that's huge for moms to understand, Mm -hmm. like, this is what the Lord actually declares about Himself. He literally is mighty, and He will save yeah, And he will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. And I think if we could grab onto that, I'm not really a tattoo person, but if I mm-hmm. was, that might be in the running because I just think that's so powerful to understand like that's the truth. Yep. The truth is the Lord is mighty. He is in the midst of us and he will save and he will rejoice and he rejoices over us. Yep. And not just that, but he rests in where we're at with singing and he has joy for us. So then give ourselves permission to apply that to our children. Yeah. And I would just also add just practically, mom, don't quit praying for your kids. Yeah. You know, sometimes we can think that, you know, all the real battle work happens when they're maybe in our house, but you don't ever stop mm-hmm. being their mom. And you don't ever yeah. stop praying, praying, praying for your kids. And and maybe in this context, even just being 
a little bit fearful about what's mm-hmm. going on, surrender those things to the Lord too and mm-hmm. let him meet you in that mm-hmm. too. Even if you have a child in prison though, that's a truth you can share with that child. Yeah. You know, like, hey, the Lord absolutely loves you. Yep. These are truths that never go away. And I think that helps us. You know, a lot of times we can think, well, what if the worst? What if the worst? What if the worst? Some people go through the worst and they've survived and they've survived with the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. And, you know, the Lord can carry us through. Awesome. Okay. Next question. Somebody asked how to protect your children from today's culture, but not be overbearing helicopter parents. Mm. Uh, What do we think of helicopter parents, Debbie? What are our thoughts there? Well, there is that balance. You know, I've told moms through the years, Brett has told me this for decades now, here's your job. And he, he grabs my hand. He'll take like my index finger, put his hand. He's got a big hand. So he puts his hand around almost twice <laughs> around my index finger. And he'll say, now try to, now one at a time, start with the pinky, then the ring finger, middle finger, then the index finger, try to pull, peel these fingers off. And so he did that the first time when I was crying as Brooke went to school and Joey went to school and Casey went to school and <laughs> I was at home and, oh, you know, and he said, okay, you need to, and in that case, he held out his index finger and he said, grab my finger. And so I did. And then he pulled off my fingers one at a time. He goes, that's your job for the next 20 years is to do that. You need to keep on doing that. (laughs) Pull your fingers off. Pull your fingers off. So with that as the premise, yes, we respect the fact that we do not want to be a helicopter parent because that clamps everybody down. That is ridiculous. That makes it so kids can't grow just like exercise. If you don't challenge yourself a little bit, you're not Mm going to, you know, your lungs are not going to (laughs) expand. So we want our kids to expand and grow and develop and be intellectually stimulated and all of that kind of stuff. But there is a difference between allowing that kind of freedom and completely compromising Yeah, and no longer living a life that is desiring a a sanctified life, which as Christians, we're called to be sanctified. Well, and don't you think, because when I read this, how to protect your children from today's culture, Mm -hmm. there's still an element, big element Mm -hmm. of us protecting our kids Mm -hmm. from culture, like guarding our homes by the Mm -hmm. things that we allow. And we've, we've talked about that before of, you know, there might be certain music we don't allow in our house. There might be certain places you will not let your kids go to protect them from yeah. the influence of that person. That's okay. Mm-hmm. That's not being the helicopter parent. And and I actually think sometimes people, maybe well-intentioned, but friends might say, mm-hmm. why aren't you letting your kids do this? You're being too overbearing. You're, And I think they're conflating two things mm-hmm. of being that helicopter parent mm-hmm. and then swinging all the way the other direction with just like, you know, hands off and not guarding your home. It's such a good point. There is a huge, I'm going to kind of call it an epidemic right now of really an epidemic of stupidity because I think parents are just forgetting that there's real harm that can be done to their kids, long-term harm that can occur by some of the social interactions that they're allowing, some of the things that are going on. So like, for instance, I know for a fact in our area, within a lot of the church community interacting within each other, sleepovers are permitted, co-ed sleepovers are permitted. At those co-ed sleepovers, drinking is permitted. That is a no-no. Anybody that's doing that, you are like on the naughty list. Yeah, like mom, you, you get cold. Like we're literally talking about because the first time I heard this, and I, I did hear it from another parent that was like thinking it was not a big deal mm-hmm. because that one it was just 
oh, it's just guys and girls, you know, it's fine. They'll sleep, the one will sleep in this room, one, you know, it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Compromise. Mm. Oh my goodness, it's compromise. And then, like what you're saying, the epidemic of stupidity. I've heard the other things of like, mm-hmm. well, there's alcohol, but you know what? Parents are there so we can kind of keep an eye on things right. that it doesn't get out of control. Mm-hmm. Epidemic of stupidity. Yeah. 100%. It, these kids, you know, I, I think I want to talk to those parents face to face and go, do I need to show you the obituary of my friend who died from alcoholism? Mm-hmm. who went to the football parties when he was in high school. He did not intend to really crash down a flight of stairs and break his neck. Yeah. He met his demise because of this crazy culture that could not separate the fact that doing something that made you feel temporarily better and also gave you the appeal with your peers. He was just not taught that. He came from a background of alcoholism. And so, you know, he didn't mean to inherit this disease that he had or the sin or however you want to look at it, whatever, because there's so many different (laughs) mindsets out there of how people look at this really, really terrible problem with alcoholism. But man, parents, if you've got a 14, 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old under your roof and you're allowing them to have alcohol, first of all, you're literally breaking the law. Second of all, you could be setting them up for a lifetime of of real distress and and maybe even total demise. Yeah. It's it's incredibly sad. I just think people are way naive, and it's and like I said, it's, I'm, I'm not mocking them. I'm just saying, literally, epidemic of stupidity. Yeah. Because if they're just passing it around like it's no big deal, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it. That and is someone saying, "Oh, you're gonna be, you're just being an overbearing helicopter parent." Mm-mm. No, and that's no, not no. the same thing. So not the same thing. So we are saying. No, you shouldn't be a helicopter parent. Right. You should, you yeah. know, prayerfully see like when those little fingers should be pried off, yeah. you know. Yeah. But parents, don't be silly in thinking that that means that you should not be protecting your children mm-hmm. and making smart decisions. That, that's important. Yeah. it's. I think parents are very, very naive. And I think we can give them some data if they need to understand what it's like for a young girl to have to have a hysterectomy from HPV because of skin-to-skin contact on some of this, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And if I sound agitated, it's because I just think that parents are naive and really selling themselves short. They're not fulfilling their call as parents. They're getting duped. They're buying into the culture by allowing their kids to just be in this culture of, of grossness. There are other communities out there, other states out there who parents are moving to and the feedback I'm getting is it is possible to have communities where this is not happening. Mm. So I know locally for us, we need to wake up, like shake out all the garbage, stop it, get the standards back, you know, let purity within our hearts be a part of how we raise our kids. Because we don't, just because everyone's doing it, now I totally sound like my mother, just because everyone's jumping off the roof, would you jump off a roof too? I mean, (laughs) like literally we need to make that be a part of our common sense in our mind. Yeah. And teach our kids to stand above it. Yep. Stand above it. Yep. Yep. Good stuff. Okay. This particular question is probably an entire episode, but I am going to read it because I do think that this is a big issue. And then, Debbie, maybe you can point us to a couple studies that you've done in the past, either with mom time or things like this. But the question is on the trend of gentle parenting and why it's unbiblical. So, Debbie, you and I talked about before this that gentle parenting, it's been around for a long time. I think now it's called gentle parenting, but, you know, this idea Mm -hmm. of 
idolizing and adoring your sweet child that they mm-hmm. don't sin and all of these things mm-hmm. and not disciplining in a biblical way. Um, that's been around a long time. Mm-hmm. So th- that is an entire episode probably for sure, but maybe just briefly highlight some, maybe some resources or some studies that you've already done kind of mm-hmm. addressing some of that. Well, I think the easiest thing would be to like literally go online, go to the bookstore, order the Romans Road Study, mm-hmm. because that's such a breakdown of chapter by chapter through that whole book and completely tying in parenting and what our roles are and how to properly view our kids and ourselves because it, it's the gospel. It's the Romans Road. It's the gospel story. So I think that's a very gentle approach to helping teach parents how to properly think about where we're all at before God. My concern about this, let's just call it a new theology, this gentle, even though no, it's not new, but let's just call it that for now for the conversation. I feel that there are way too many coincidences here. <laughs> we know before the Lord, there's not coincidences. It's all Agadawins. But, you know, when you look at scripture and you look how Eve was deceived, and it's very subtle, mm. you know, and Satan was the best of the best in terms of deceiving and his subtlety. And I think. Look out, mom. Look out, dad. If you are holding your little guy or little girl up to be a prince and princess, because you are setting them up for failure by doing that, because the higher you go, the farther down you're going to fall. You know, like we just setting our kids up so high, that idol is going to crash someday and it's just going to smash to pieces. So it would just be so much better to have a realistic view of who we are in Christ, who our children are in Christ. Look at the order that God has. Mm -hmm. Another study that it really lays it out quite simply, but just in terms of our discipline and just our methodology towards parenting is the Choose Life study because that goes through kind of a lot of big topics and how to look at those things and how to tie those in with parenting. Mm -hmm. It's very, very helpful. And I think it would help parents to combat this notion, Yeah, you know, because to me, it's a no-brainer. We want to be gentle to our kids. We should be. We are going to be gentle kind of a deceiving to our kids. It's a, name, it's a deceiving really. name. I, 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 it makes me sad. There's so many things like that going on right now that are, are such compromises with biblical thought and just critical thinking. And that's just, you know, yeah. we have to be so careful. Yep. So lots there, but yeah, maybe check those studies out because that's not so much addressing it. And Debbie, you don't say gentle parenting is this and this, Mm -hmm. but really we kind of don't care about what gentle parenting is. We care Mm -hmm. what the Bible says about parenting and how that should influence us. Yeah. But I did want to just address that and somebody that brought up this question because Mm -hmm. that is a real giant trend that's on social media right now and all these things. So gals, if you're kind of following some of those, gentle parenting is not really gentle, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not biblical. So mm-hmm. really for this demographic, a lot of the demographic that's listening to this, when they were in about elementary school, junior high school age, high school age, so early 90s, that category of kids who were going through and going through health class, a lot of those kids really studied fast food and they took a McDonald's hamburger and they would put it in their window display of their high school or junior high and they would just watch it <laughs> and they would just notice that it didn't decay right. because there was so much junk in the food. And that led to other studies, like all of these different, you know, documentaries that have been done, really helping dial in, oh my goodness, most of what we eat when we go through the drive-thru is actually sugar. Like you would, if you love sugar, just go ahead and have sugar, mix it with water and drink it. But so breaking it down is what's so fascinating when you look at, mm-hmm. at that study. I think it's the same thing can be said for gentle parenting. Really, is it is it really just a Coke? 
is it really just 64 tablespoons of sugar and you're just calling it something different, you know? Like, just call it what it is. Call it uh, not being brave. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, call it um, not actually looking at what God's Word says and appeasement for your children and— It's not a good—it's a real dangerous one that's out there for parents right now, so watch out for that. Okay, how would you—how do you navigate kids having friends with different beliefs? Hmm. This is a good Mm -hmm. one. Is that question pertaining to having them over, or are we in school? Doesn't specifically say, but I think we could address both of those kinds of things. So how how do you navigate, you know, some of your kids' friends that— Okay. We're all over the place. Well, I can give you an elementary school example that happened literally with Brooke. She was in second grade, and it was time to share our books. It was December, and I knew that there was probably a pack of about seven kids who were Jehovah's Witnesses. They were all girls, and they were all in that class. And the teacher had asked me to bring in a book to share with the class. And I thought, what is the least offensive book that I can read that will be nice for all of the kids? And I thought, I'll do The Grinch. Jesus is not in that book. There's just all these things. It mentions Christmas, but duh, we're in December. So I got out that book. All the kids were so excited. And right away, these seven girls got up, turned towards the door, and walked out. And the teacher didn't say anything. And that's the way it went down. And after school, I talked to Brooke. And I had told her, honey, I'm so sorry. I never met. And Brooke really wasn't phased by that. It didn't put her in a position of being like those girls didn't bully her or anything like that. But later I did talk to the teacher about that just to understand what the dynamic mm-hmm. was because I didn't quite get that, you know, 20% of her class was Jehovah's Witnesses and they were all in one class, all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, I've thought about that through the years because in two ways. Number one, it really taught Brooke, like, our family's serious about what we're believing. The next book that I brought in was The Tale of Three Trees. And anyone that's read that book knows it's totally the gospel. Because <laughs> I was like, whatever, if they're going to walk out, then they'll go, you know, they're going to walk out. But for the rest of the kids that remain, let's, where we have the opportunity, let's share the Lord. And so that just became a book that I would bring in whatever grade my kids were in. I brought it in often. And, and many, many times teachers would cry. And it was just, it's a really sweet book. So I just think if you decide to take a stand, just take a stand, just do it. And there's going to be people who oppose you. So whatever, let them leave. Then If you flip that around, though, I think about those kids, and I think, you know what? Those parents taught them really well. Hmm. They really taught them, hey, if something comes that's opposing you, you do not be ashamed of that, you get up and walk out of the classroom. And I think, now, hang on a minute. If a cult can do it, we should be able to do that. (laughs) Why can we not be so strong about this? Like, you know, so I I just really think that's a challenge in the public school that I think Christians are, are really missing an opportunity if they have their kids in public school. Stand up. Because a lot of this stuff can be combated just by taking a stand. Yep. You know? Yeah. I would say, just add to that, you know, if you're, if it's just kiddos that have different beliefs, mm-hmm. I think there's a, a thing to be discerning about with a mom, making sure that those kids with other beliefs are not being more of the hammer, you know, yes, with your kid. Hammer and the nail. Hammer and the nail. Are, and I ask my kids that all the time. Are you being the hammer or the nail? Because you can have, be around kids that mm-hmm. hopefully you can just be a light and, yeah. you know, share Jesus with, but you want to make sure as mom, you know, you're kind of taking a temperature reading of Mm -hmm. those relationships and going, hmm, is my kid being kind of sucked in to some of these different beliefs? And then that might make you just kind of cause you to make different decisions too on those gatherings. But I also love having those kids be in my house too, especially if it's like ones where I'm just not 
if I even have a question about what the background or what have that would be home. like, yeah, bring them into yeah. your house yes. and make it a place where your house is fun and you yeah. have all the food and have them be there so that you can kind of kind of see what's going on. Yeah, and monitor, Don't be stupid, right? And monitor, yeah. I know Joey had a lot of friends when we were in one particular district. A lot of Mormon kids lived around, well, I should just say one family that had like six kids and five of those boys were Joey's friends. So let's say it like mm. that. So he had a lot of friends from the same family and then two or three families and a lot of Mormons. And some people know that I have some relatives who are Mormon, so I'm familiar with that. Mm-hmm. We would just were. I w- it's very easy to talk to people and be very clear. Like our kids can play. Just know. I I know that we don't believe the same. Just right out of the gate, just say I know that we don't believe the same. But I love the fact that our kids can play, and I know that we're going to agree on certain things morally, ratings on movies, things that are you know like I, I know we're going to agree to not have drugs. I know we're going to agree to not have alcohol. Right, <laughs> you <laughs> know, to clarify that point and clarify that stuff. Yeah. But I mean, once you get past all that, then there's a really good amount of freedom. And then as the kids get older, you can kind of break down, like, well, this is what's happening. And you know, within particularly that cult, I was able to have a lot of conversations yeah. with him about that. And you know, it makes sense. I mean, Joey can hang with uh, theology and these big questions. And part of it is because he had, you know, a living example mm-hmm. of really being able to walk through that. You know, but establish really sweet, endearing friendships. And then Casey in like middle school era, she had a lot of friends that their parents had come from India and Mm. she just had sweet, sweet friends, you know, and then another set where I think the dad had come from Africa. So she kind of was like, mom, I'm kind of like this cultural, like, I don't know what it is, but I have all these, you know, kind of intercultural friends. And it was just amazing. And so going to those little birthday parties, just learning about culture and learning from all of those people. That stuff should be something that we don't shy away from. Yeah. It's a it can be a real bridge maker, you know? Because later in life, when we go into some store and we see those parents later, or we see the grown-up child, mm-hmm. Casey has like all this freedom to talk to them about things and you know, she's yeah. grown up now and it's just sweet. So I don't I don't think we should like cut off the opportunity, yeah. but also just have your bearings. Yeah. Be smart about it. But I you know, just even encouraging your kids and ourselves to just not be ashamed of the gospel. Yeah. You know, just flat out, don't be ashamed that we believe what the Bible says. And so when your kids are in relationships with with people of different beliefs, be clear about what you believe. And we can help our kids in just knowing what that looks like very clearly. So, okay, this is a really good practical one. And I love this. It says, and and I hear this a lot from you, mom. So I'll let Debbie chime in on what she's done. Some of you guys have heard what I've done on this, but I'd love some advice on teenagers and cell phones. Mm -hmm. Okay. Give us your thoughts on teenagers and cell phones. Why do we have to have cell phones? (laughs) I love Debbie's response on that. That is what? I know, right? (laughs) I I tell my kids all the time, you do know that 20 years ago, I was going to a wall to answer this phone call. You know, There was a cord. There was a cord. And, you know, we still, I think almost all houses still, because of public utilities, we have to have at least the post sure, for bringing right. in the old phone. And, yeah. I, you know, yeah, I... I Can a, we let them all burn? I want to go back to the wall phones. I think burn. that's the answer. Okay, next. <laughs> and here's one that maybe Debbie and I will probably sound pretty hardcore on this stuff because just recognizing the danger that the phone is in your in your kids' hands. My kids did try to tell me that they were the only ones at, you know, fill in the blank of the age that don't have a phone, 
we're the only ones that don't have this. And all my kids went to freshman year with a flip phone. And yes, the phone of shame of like all their kids with all the cool phone. And then there's my kid with their their flip phone. And, mm-hmm. and they survived, guys. They totally survived. Just recognize that the moment that you allow your kiddo to have a phone, and, and it, it, we are so pressured by it, but it is an absolutely acceptable response to be like, no, we're not going to have one. Now, if you decide to let your kids have a cell phone and you decide the age in which that's going to be, just recognize you have signed on for a, a part-time job, a full-time job, watching what's going on there. Mm-hmm. It is everywhere, okay? If you mm-hmm. think that Spotify is innocent, if you think that having iTunes on their phone is innocent. Nope. Mm. You know, I, I remember having eyes wide open when senior in high school, my oldest, he said, because we had our phones super stripped down, mm-hmm. super stripped down. No Safari. Or actually, we ended up doing Safari with like our, we had to sign on for every single website that they were allowed to be on. So it is so much work. Mm-hmm. And it will be so amazingly inconvenient for you as a parent for your kid to just not have free reign to a mm-hmm. smartphone. But I remember senior year, Evan saying, mom, I need you to take iTunes off my phone mm-hmm. and and Spotify. I just need them off my phone. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? what? What's uh-huh. up with iTunes and Spotify? Mm-hmm. He was like, mom. Access. Access. And he said the album art. Mm-hmm. He was like, I need it off. Yeah. I need it off. Yeah. So... Things that we, like you were saying, our kids sometimes know stuff mm-hmm. that we don't even know. It mm-hmm. had never even, it was not even on my radar mm-hmm. that that would be an issue. Right. It's an issue. It's an issue. So, you know, Chris always likens the a smartphone to handing your kid a loaded gun. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. You got to recognize what you're putting in your kid's hand. And so I kind of yeah. like your first answer of why do we have to have it? It's really uh, hard know, because there yeah. are so many practical things. I just think that. We're so naive to not consider heavier consequences than what we're considering. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, you kind of liken it to, you know, Brett and I have been married for 35 years. We dated for three years before that. So it's getting around 40 years, right? Mm-hmm. 40 years ago, what our society looked like was so different. And even then, when Brett and I got married, I remember thinking, wow, there's some huge benefit to the things Todd and Brenda, you know, like really poured into Brett. And there's just like the wife gets the benefit of what the mom and dad have mm-hmm. spent in terms of time and discipline. So much that I was able to reap because of their time that they mm-hmm. put in to Brett. Had Brett had a phone and cut off really their time with him, mm-hmm. I would not have the same husband. I would have some something that was developed by a chip or by an algorithm, you know, because it takes on the brain. I mean, it, it will morph your child into something different. And I think, so now... With Joey being married to Kenzie now for three years, I'm just so thankful for all the good things that God did show us in raising, you know, Joey. Because like when he walked me down the aisle, he was walking, you know, me as his mom down the aisle. I can't explain it, all of you guys out there, all of you ladies, but it is literally the biggest handoff of your life. Mm. It's the biggest handoff. And you're gonna have three of those opportunities because you have three sons. (laughs) But it was like Joey's entire life went before my eyes, mm. and it was it was just so amazing, you know. And I thought, whoa, you don't even realize this pressure that you know you've been holding as a parent, and now you literally are giving that to this beautiful bride. Mm-hmm. And and then you just pray to God that He will be reacting to the Holy Spirit as a man now mm-hmm. married, taking on the role of a husband and protecting and covering his wife, and you know all of those things. I just think 
it might seem as simple as going down and getting a monthly contract, but the weight, you cannot overestimate the weight. You cannot. You cannot. Well, and you're talking, too, about so many, like, just really tough no's and different decisions that you make along the way that bring you to that moment down the aisle, you know? It's 100%. And, yeah. and, and the thing is, is the wife inherits it. Yeah. The wife yeah. inherits it. So I think, man, don't be so short-sighted. Like, you're raising these men to be godly men, to be gentlemen, to be men who are going to be role models in society and leaders. Mm-hmm. You're raising up the next generation. Like, do not thwart that. Do not yeah. cut that. Do not do not do anything to undermine that. And I, I think that that's the gravity that people are not understanding with these phones, mm-hmm. is you think about the potential and then equally so the impotence that a phone can give a man. You know, it literally can stop a sex drive. <laughs> Ironically, by creating more of a sex drive, it can make them impotent, you know, because mm-hmm. of so many reasons that we know biologically and psychologically that are happening with the brain and dopamine and all of that. You don't even know what you're limiting in terms of the life of your child. Right. And then how that translate to the future bride of your child, of your son, you know. And then as a young girl, man, we have to protect their self-image and where their identity is and all of these conversations that take place that are really cut off if mm-hmm. they're just staring at the phone, you know. So I, I just think, man, go to back to a flip phone. <laughs> just do a flip phone, man. Talk to your child. <laughs> have the interaction. Do the work. Like, so If you're what? married, you know. Talk about this with your husband and be like with anything we've said on parenting, man, be on the same page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But realize, I think the things that, you know, you're saying, Debbie, is that there's just a lot at stake. It's not just a phone, gals. No. It's not no. just a phone. And you can say the no, moms. None of my kids, as long as they're under my roof, and even I have one that's not under my roof now, will not have social media. Mm-hmm. And now the one that's not under my roof chooses to not have social media because I'm like, why would I want that? You know, because when they're a little older and their brain's a little slightly more developed, they're able to go, yeah, that's really kind of garbage. Mm -hmm. You're going to have, shoot me a comment on the merits of why a 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old girl or boy, but I think the social media piece is even more dangerous for our girls. Please tell me why. Because you can't, you cannot say like, well, they'll feel so left out. Why? Why does that matter? That's okay. Actually, sometimes being the left out one might Mm -hmm. be the best thing for them. Mm -hmm. But just keep in mind the things that are at stake with this because it is not, sometimes you just need to cut it off. Yeah. So, all right. I could go on and on about the cell phone thing because, wow, it's just awful. Okay, I have two more questions we'll do and then we'll kind of wrap up. I know we could do more, but we'll just kind of leave it at this. First one here, how to start teaching about God at a young age, like a one-year-old. Mm, oh, Debbie, so this fun. is I learned some of the best stuff from Debbie on this. So yes, go for it. Oh, wow. Well, okay, the Bible says that in Him we live and move and have our being. And I think when you grab that into your mind and allow the Lord to really do that work within your own heart, that literally... He can permeate every single part of the molecular structure of yourself and how that translates to your child. So you start singing to that little baby when you're nursing. You know, mm-hmm. you start exalting the name of the Lord through praise and worship as much as you can all day. And I know one of the things that we started, I just, you know, I'd be home alone because Brett would be at work, which he should be. <laughs> so that's not, you know, I'm not making that sound like that's a bad thing. That's an excellent thing and it's noble. So he would be at work and so I'd be with Brooke and you know, you got to grab a hold of your mind really fast because it can spin all over the place, you know. But thankfully, when the babies are little, they're crying, there's a need, and you go through your 10 reasons why they might be crying or whatever, and you figure it out. And so 
when they transition and they're definitely more on a schedule and, you know, like I think I had it down to, I knew I was going through, you know, eight diapers a day and then like, boom, it was clockwork. You know, we did eight, 10, you know, I just did it, you know? So like you get the schedule down, you freed up a lot. It's just awesome to be able to start off the day. I would pick Brooke up, put her in my arms and I would say, Brooke, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I just said that every day because it was good for me and it was good for her. And it was like a mindset, like, this is what we're doing. We're rejoicing in the Lord. And then I would pick her up and take her out to, we had a big slider window. Usually it would be a sunny day. And I would point out and I would say, look at the sun that God's made. Look at the clouds that God made today. Look, how are we going to glorify God today? Now, does she know that? Can she write me a research paper on those things that I said to her? No. But I knew that it was going in to help her understand the purpose in her being, Mm. that in her little body, it is in him that she lives and moves and has her being. And I think that the Lord has more than answered my heart's desire to watch her be able to live that out. I think when she steps up on the platform and sings, you see every part of her able to open up to Christ. You know, like she is absolutely glorifying God, glorifying God with everything, all of her, everything that she lives and breathes and has her being, it, that's how she moves, you know? So I just think, man, don't underestimate what the Lord can do. Because oh. it, it's like you start as early as you can. Early, early, the, early. the fruit is just so gigantic. It's just so beautiful to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's so beautiful to watch. And I love what you're saying. Like, yes, you're doing those things because you're wanting to instill that in your kiddos in the youngest age possible. But think about what that even does for your own heart and mind mm-hmm. of reminding yourself of those things and yeah. rehearsing those things yeah. in your brain when you kind of get mm-hmm. bogged down by the mundane of like, oh my goodness, there's so many dishes and there's so many diapers and all this stuff. Yeah. But instead, you're changing out scripture for where your mind won't want to go. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so and good. You know, I love that. good because you can't be disingenuous to your kids, right? You can't sit there and just lie to your kids, you know? Yeah. You cannot do it. I mean, you can, but you, you'll get called out. out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like, man, if I'm telling this to my kids, I need to live up to this too. And kids grow you up and they cause you to be mature. And yeah, just that was a definite routine that I had with all three of my kids. And, it, and I think it's just really, really helped us to keep the dial where it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Okay, last one. How do we find the fine line of spoiling our children versus loving them slash directing them correctly? Okay, so this is a very interesting, I love this question because I remember spoiled was a word that was used a lot, I think, in my younger years, which I always thought was weird as a kid. I'm kind of a, you know, pensive person. So I remember I would be told things I would be thinking through things at the same time. Like, mm-hmm. it, this kind of doesn't make sense to me. Like, if I was acting spoiled or something like that, I would, I remember thinking, okay, do you guys understand something? Like, I, I would break it down. Like, I think you're not seeing that I'm responding because I am sad that my dad and my mom are together. Those kinds of things, mm-hmm. you know? So then growing up, becoming a Christian in the high school years, and then recognizing, okay, wait, hang on a second. Let's let's revisit the idea of being spoiled. What what actually is that? Well, the thing that's so sweet when you come to Jesus and you go, okay, gospel. Okay, so I'm a sinner. So that means my response to bad behavior. The obvious response is that I need to repent. And you know, repentance, confession, just getting it out there is huge to helping to stop the cycle of poutiness and 
you know, bad attitude and all the things that can kind of go with the whole idea of being spoiled. You know, when you come to the Lord and He is the one that you're coming to and He's your refuge and He's your rock. And, you know, like Psalm 62 says, cry out to God, let Him know your heart, you know. The person who is spoiled can come to the Lord and talk about all those things and the Lord can say, my child, in the most gentle way, this is what's true. And this is what I want to talk to you about. And these are the things that I want to help reshape within you. So I just think that if you take that approach, the approach of our Heavenly Father, the approach of our precious Jesus who died on the cross for our sins, I I don't think there is spoiled in the kingdom of God. I think there's correction and there's gentle love and correction. And I think so you model what Jesus did Mm -hmm. and you model the role of our Heavenly Father who said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He didn't hold back a compliment, you know? I don't think we need to worry about encouraging our kids. I don't think we need to worry about complimenting our kids and making them know that they're beautiful or that they're handsome or that they are amazing, you know? Because I think the Lord's just so good that he will give you opportunity with really well-defined, gentle correction. They will not be spoiled. They will not be spoiled. You know, they just won't. Now, what happens after age 18 and, you know, when they're in college and the friends that they make as adults, like that's a whole nother conversation. Mm -hmm. But this question seems to be like more for, I have a little one and I don't want to mess up. And so what do I do? So in terms of that, you know, I just think, don't worry so much about the spoiled part because if you're owning up to your responsibility as a parent, your child will not be spoiled because you will hold back when you need to. And you also will not withhold discipline because you'll know that you're called to do that. And so it's the spoiled equation just kind of goes away. Yeah. That's just, I mean, our experience with that is that it just, it literally just kind of goes away because kids learn boundaries. They expect boundaries. A spoiled child does not do that. You know, a spoiled child doesn't know boundaries. They don't understand. They actually need boundaries. They're they're crying out for boundaries yep. or love or attention or whatever it is. The parent who is really owning up to the responsibility of properly giving those boundaries and communicating with their kids and really not withholding correction, that parent is not, they will not have a spoiled child. They won't. Yeah. I love, I actually am, didn't plan on ending on that one when we started, but that's a great question to end on because it talks about anything that we've talked about on this podcast when you've been on of why it's so important to parent your kids biblically. Because it even, it, it provides the answer for, man, am I spoiling my kid? Or, be, But if you're approaching it from biblically, the way that we are called and directed to, to train up our kids, those answers, those questions are going to be answered. So Debbie, thanks so much for doing this. We'll probably do it again. If you guys ever have some questions or other, just feel free to shoot them into the devoted podcast at athecreek.com. We'll just kind of keep a stack going and answer your questions. So thanks so much, Debbie. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the devoted podcast. We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at apcreek.com.